Hey, Alicia, you got your mug? Hey, Jamie girl, I got my glass. Let's get into this black tea. This is black tea, your bottomless cup of empowerment, political education, and black excellence. Every month, we bring you raw and uncut news, spilling the tea on all of the latest hot-button social issues and events for the culture. to the launch episode of Black Tea. I'm Jamie. I'm Alicia. And we're bringing you this episode because we are two young black women born and raised in St. Louis. We love St. Louis and we love our culture, so we just want to share our take with y'all on what's happening in the world. We're going to bring a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of empowerment, and a little bit of pop culture while we talk about our city and what's going on. We'll talk about the news and events and just share our take on what's happening. We both follow politics, social media, and what's happening in St. Louis and in the world very closely, and we feel like it's super important. We feel like a lot of times there's only certain groups of people talking about information and only certain groups that are aware of what's going on. We want to normalize being aware of what's going on around you, you know, in your community and in the world that we live in. Politics has a huge impact on your community and what's happening around you and what will happen happen around you. So every month, we want to have a good kiki with y'all about what's going on and give you all our take. It's not going to be super polished. It's not going to be some elite jargon. It's everyday people from their communities talking about what's going on. Yeah, and to tell you a little bit about ourselves, I grew up in U-City, literally right off the corner of Brittany Woods. So if you're from U-City, what's up? And then both of us went to Cardinal Ritter, and that's how we met and got to know one another. After that, I went to school out of state in Nashville and then did my grad school overseas. And now I'm back in St. Louis because I love the city so much. Jamie was a boss. Okay, she's going to be humble about it, but I'm not. She was student body president. She studied public policy in undergrad, got a master's in global affairs in China, actually. You want to give us a little something, Jamie? Ni hao, y'all. Ni hao. <laughs> and actually knows, um, you know, a little bit of the Chinese language. I went to St. Louis University and the University of Missouri-St. Louis. I graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Psychology. So we both study different things and we have different career paths, but we have the same community interests. We have the same goal and desire for our people as a collective and society as a whole to be aware and critically think about everything that's going on, to see how it's all independent and interdependent and plays into each other and to really understand how the political is personal. Exactly, and Alicia's gonna be humble, so I'm gonna brag on her too. She's not only an educated woman in healthcare or a mental health advocate, but she's also a community activist. She was instrumental in a lot of the activism work that happened in Ferguson right after the killing of Mike Brown, and that's how she got into policy, politics, and community engagement. So she's bringing y'all a lot of expertise in that community grassroots political activism field. And that's why we're talking about community empowerment so much because she has learned and I have learned in our work just how important that is. And with that, now that you know a little bit about us, let's get into today's episode. So 2020 is an election year, which I'm sure you all know by now. But in case you haven't heard, please vote on November 3rd because we really need those votes. And what we're going to be talking about on this episode is how this whole electoral process works anyway and why your vote really matters this year. 
So quick background on the November election. In November, we know that the US president is elected. We all talk about it for like two years right before. Um, but the electoral process is a little bit more complicated than what we usually expect. You see, the electoral process doesn't really end when we all vote in November. Actually, voting happens all the way through up until the end of the year until we see the new president come on that stage in the next January. So the question that you might have is, what's going on during all this time, and who's really electing the president? I'm sure you may have heard of something called the Electoral College. The Electoral College is made up of the body of people that actually elect the president after we all cast our votes in November. The Electoral College was actually created during the time when the United States was being put together by the Founding Fathers. Half of the Founding Fathers wanted the president to be picked by Congress, and the other half wanted the president to be picked by the popular vote. The Electoral College is really just a compromise. I've absolutely heard many people say that they don't vote because of the, the Electoral College picks the president. Can you tell us more about that relationship? Who exactly is the Electoral College? And numbers-wise, what does my vote count for versus an electoral vote? Yeah, that's a fair question. I mean, I've heard people say that, too. But what we have to realize is that the Electoral College is not deciding the votes. They're voting on our behalf based on what we already decided as the people. So let me break it down. We know that there are 435 representatives in Congress, in the House of Representatives to be exact. And we know that there are 100 senators sitting in the US Senate. That makes the total number of Congress. So this year, we have 538 electors that are going to elect the president. And all of those people represent the people that we have in our Congress. And when we cast our votes in November, what we're saying on behalf of our states is, our state wants this person to be the president, and then the electors for our state actually vote for the president. And that's how it happens. So when you say your vote doesn't matter, you're saying, I'm not gonna tell my elector what to do, and that's the problem. We need to be telling our electors what to do every November. Who has the power to contest the electoral vote? Does anyone? No, so the vote would have to be contested by the presidential candidate who is running the election at that time. So the elected president can contest the electoral votes? Well, technically, they wouldn't be elected yet, but the person that won or the person that didn't win, either candidate can contest. Okay. And if they contest, what happens? Well, so then we can go and bring the Supreme Court into the issue. So if the candidate wants to contest a particular state that had a vote count, the Supreme Court can decide whether or not that would be legal. Okay, that's great news to know. And since this is Black Tea and we talk about all things political and social, you know, I don't feel like we can talk about the Supreme Court when talking about our belated Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh my goodness, yes. Oh my gosh. Um, that, for those who don't know or are not familiar with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she was the second woman to ever be elected to the Supreme Court. She was known for her advocacy for women's rights and known for her strong dissenting opinions. She even wore a collar to indicate whether she was dissenting or not, whether or not she was supposed to. So she's really just an OG, the notorious RBG as we call her, um, and obviously 2020 is a sad year for her passing. So when a Supreme Court justice passes, it's the current sitting president of the United States that has the power to nominate someone else for that position. 
Presidents tend to nominate people to fill that seat who reflect their political views. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as Jamie mentioned earlier, was known more as a progressive judge. She was a champion for women's rights, um, voting rights, and um, also was very clear when she disagreed or agreed. Um, and so the person who elected her was Bill Clinton, who was also, you know, he was, he was a Democrat and known as a more of a liberal or progressive. Um, obviously, we have Donald Trump as president right now, and he is a Republican and is much more on the conservative side. And his nomination is Amy Coney Barat. Right. So when we talk about hot button issues during an election year, there are a lot going on right now. And so I guess the whole moral of this story is casting your vote matters because it allows you to have a voice and your voice is more powerful than you actually would think. So November 3rd, y'all, November 3rd. This episode of Black Tea is brought to you by the Divided City Initiative. The Divided City is a joint project of the Center for the Humanities and the Sam Fox School, College of Architecture and Urban Design at Washington University, right here in St. Louis. The Divided City is funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. Our next segment is called Community Spotlight, where we will speak to individuals in the community making a positive impact. On today's episode, we have Aaron Williams and Gabby Burks. Aaron is a native of Kansas City who has grown to be a valued member of the St. Louis community. He is a board member of Northside Community Housing, a nonprofit organization that brings investment and development into the St. Louis, uh, North St. Louis community, and board chairman of For the Ville, which is a community-based tourism organization on the historic Ville neighborhood that seeks to spotlight forgotten black history across the St. Louis region. He's also a founding committee member of Young Friends of the Ville. And additionally, Aaron is the chair of Mission Advancement for the St. Louis District Council of the Urban Land Institute. Gabby is a native of Chicago, Illinois, a graduate of Lindenwood University where she studied corporate communication and has grown to be an influential member of the St. Louis community. She is the co-founder and creative director of A Conscious Conversation, the founder of Conscious Fest and brand owner of Real Estate Bay where she documents her journey in real estate investment and helps to make the industry of real estate more understandable and accessible. We'll jump right into it. Um, the thing that you both have in common that we really want to talk about today is the fact that you guys are both so active um, in the St. Louis community in the area of uh, real estate development and just bringing growth to the St. Louis community. So first things first, what motivated you to do what you do and to get into this industry in this field? So, um, so real estate is super new for me. Um, I, like, like Alicia said, I, I try to document my journey. I actually document it. I think when I signed my first contract um, because I didn't see people doing that and so it was really important for me to talk about the ins and outs and so forth. And so um, I actually got into real estate maybe nine months ago. Um, I was fighting against, I guess myself, my inner self, God, because I felt like I would be a hypocrite because for, for so many years I just did uh, community work. And so what does it look like to pivot? I, I don't know what that looks like to successfully pivot from a nonprofit space to a more capitalistic, um, for-profit, you know, entity. And so, uh, I, I fought myself actually for years and I actually dissolved Conscious Fest and I dissolved Conscious STL, um, to jump into this full time. So for me, uh, I guess ever since I was a child, I sort of had a desire to be in the the space of real estate development and community development. And it, I guess it's rooted in 
one, my observation of space changing and never understanding who was doing it. It's like, who has the power to like, just make a building appear. Um, and that's sort of where it started. And then, you know, <clears throat> going to a, a, a public school in the city, people steer you in like the popular direction. So it was like, oh, you should be an architect. You're good at math, you're good at art. That's what architects do. So I traveled down that path, but there was still this deeper desire to understand how to change the way black people experience place and space. And that's when I started to realize there was more to it than just architecture. There are developers, there are community developers, there are planners. And being a jack of all trades, that's sort of how I, I got to navigate the world and with everything. I wanted to learn all the different uh, industries or all the different sectors of the industry and figure out how to connect the dots between them to make, like I said, the black experience of place and space better. So that's kind of put me in this position of building community power, building community wealth so that I guess um, all the boats can rise with the tide uh, and sort of putting myself on the back burner, sort of speaking to what Gabby said, she was always in this uh, community focused space where she was always working for nonprofits and th that guilt of, okay, uh, should I go out and do for myself or should I just do for community? Uh, I'm still there. Um, and I think a part of that is because I'm blessed to have a, a good job that allows me to do well financially uh, outside of all of this community work that I do. Um, but yeah, I'm still in this, this place where I just want to, I want the black experience of place to be more authentic, um, to be one in which we can claim our own dignity or restore our own dignity. Mm -hmm. So that's what's allowed me to dig deeper and deeper into this practice. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you guys both highlight feeling guilty for going into the industries. I think that's some, like something really interesting to like the black experience itself of just, you know, and it's interesting though, because when you go into these fields, like if I were to buy a house or look for a place, I want to deal with someone who is culturally competent, comes from where I come from, believes in what I want. And if we don't, then people like us don't do it, then who are we gonna go to? Um, but also I think it's interesting too, because we didn't talk about it a lot, but Gabby also as a part of Real Estate Bay, hosts Real Estate Mixers that Jamie even had an opportunity to go to. Yeah. And so it's like those type of events only happen when you have people in industry. How do you feel that your work does impact the community? Like since leaving and since becoming more developed and getting established in your brands, how do you feel like it's been positively impacting to the community or it can, even if it's not all the way there, what do you think are the impacts it could have? Yeah, I think, um, you know what I, I really appreciate about, so, so Real Estate Bay is the, the platform, the company is Williams Clater Capital Group. And so Real Estate Bay is, is the arm that uh, we make it more for social media and essentially it's teaching, consulting, um, and I'm, I'm claiming, I, I, I try to take space and that's my new thing for 2020. I'm taking space and I'm a real estate investor coach. And so for example, I'm working with a woman right now who is 52 years old. Um, never owned a property before, has always been a renter. I think maybe one other person in her family owns a property. Um, very resistant to, the, to uh, applying for a loan, very resistant to uh, going down a process because it takes a couple of months, right? And so um, the fear of rejection, the fear of I'm not good enough um, is really a mindset thing. And so there's a duality that I'm starting to see with the Real Estate Bay. Not only 
Do I have to hold, do I have to? Yeah, Spirit says host mixers to, to get people together to start conversations about wealth and it's okay. I had to do that for myself first. I had to say it's okay to, to have $100,000 in the bank, to have 10,000. Like I had to undo the fact that being a millionaire is okay for black people, right? I remember my ex um, said, I remember I told my ex one time I'm gonna be a millionaire and I remember his body actually physically changing because he was so uncomfortable. He didn't say anything, but he was just like, because of the, but if a white person said it to another white person, it would have been, been nothing, right? And so when you talk about what the impact is, I just see both sides. So that client just got approved, which may not be a lot for people at this table, but she just got approved for $100,000, her very first house. She wow. was speechless. We improved her credit, and by we, I mean myself. Um, I just do, did what I learned from US Bank, actually. Um, improved her credit about 70 points in about 45 days. Um, and she, I can, she's probably texting me right now because she's, uh, gonna gonna draw up a deal for um, to make her first offer, and so um, I think that when we start to drop, I'm gonna use the, the the metaphor rocks into this. It's gonna be a ripple effect. Now her kids are gonna be able to come to a house that she owns, or she's gonna be able to resell that house. And so it's like I said, it's a mindset thing. Really undoing the fact that she is worthy of wealth, mm -hmm. um, and as well as being okay with owning something and, and ownership and taking back the land. There are several things that I do that impact community, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna try to touch on all of them. Uh, but I'll start with Northside Community Housing and Young Friends of the Ville. Um, so, one, I came to Northside Community Housing because I took this approach to the Ville neighborhood of one, wanting to get in on the ground and just figure out what people were doing and see how I can fit into the, the network that's already there. And that sort of led me to that organization. Uh, but now that I am there, um, I sort of champion or am proud of the fact that it is a, a grassroots organization that was started by people in the neighborhood, the Ville neighborhood, to rehab housing and develop affordable housing for other people in the neighborhood. So it's literally a process of building community wealth um, and community power. Um, and then adding the young friends element to it was taking one of my second approaches, which is reflected through young friends and for the Ville. And that's reclamation of community assets and empowerment of community assets, right? So when people look at the Ville, they're like, ah, oh, it's, it's Murderville, it's dangerous, and you have no reason to go over there. But they also, at the same time, disregard the amount of history that's in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They disregard the amount of community power that's in that neighborhood. So our biggest event with uh, Young Friends is the Northside Trap Run, which we partner with Gabby mm -hmm. and Conscious Fest, where we literally make people run through the Ville so they can see, actually, it's not that dangerous. Actually, there are things happening over here. There is a strong community. You can meet them. You can place yourself in the experience of the Ville in North St. Louis for however long it takes you, 30 minutes to run through the neighborhood. Uh, so you can start to shift your perspective on it. And at the same time, we're for the Ville. Uh, we're saying, hey, you guys have forgotten in St. Louis with all this history, a lot of it is a lot of the black history is based in this neighborhood that you're afraid to come to. Uh, you really cannot talk about the black experience in St. Louis without talking about the Ville, Homer G. Phillips High Hospital, Sumner High School, Sarah Lou Cafe. I mean, which one do you want to touch? So we created a tour um, to start to spotlight these different places so that we can reclaim the power of that history that's oftentimes monopolized by major museum institutions like the Missouri Historical Society 
or the State Historical Society. I mean, they take it, they put it in a glass box or they put it in a building in the middle of the city that has no connection to the neighborhood at all. So how do you reclaim those assets and turn it into something that generates capital for the community? Um, and that's, that's what For the Ville is. Well, first and foremost, I mean, the fact that you guys have both done these amazing things is just awesome. Like every time, we already knew your backgrounds because we brought you on the show, but just hearing it from you is just really inspiring. Um, and I think it, it says a lot about, you know, what can happen in our community when you have dedicated minds working together. Um, but with that in mind, I know it hasn't been easy. I know it has definitely probably been um, some challenges, some road bumps in the road, um, especially when you're starting to talk about wealth building, real estate. I mean, both of you guys mentioned yourself that in order to make change, it starts with changing mindsets and changing attitudes. And when you're dealing with people, that's really hard to do. <laughs> that's the hardest part. Um, just convincing people that they are capable, right? That they can they can make a difference, they can change their mind. Um, so with that, um, just tell us, has there been anything challenging or any roadblocks that you've hit in the work that you uh, have done so far? Um, and I guess, Aaron, we can start with you. Um, just And you talked about you know, bringing people to the Ville through your tours just to let them see the history um, of what this neighborhood has been and what the neighborhood could be. Um, has there been any challenging part of that? Well, I'm curious Definitely. how you convince people to run through the track. That's quite easy. <laughs> by, by placing DJs around that joint and saying this is fun and serving them brunch at the end okay. and beer. Uh, and also just finding the people. So for the trap run, of course, it's finding the community that already champions those type of events, which are runners, affinity groups, and then going even deeper to find black runners and allowing them to promote the event. And that's that's literally how we got started, okay. um, finding the black runners in St. Louis and allowing them to spread the word. Um, and just add some flavor to it, right? There's some things that are popular in St. Louis, trivia nights, yeah. uh, 5Ks, but you never see it branded for black culture. Mm -hmm. And that's all we did. We're just taking these things that are, that are commonplace in, in the region and exactly. It's, it's more of a personal thing. I feel like um, the balance of everything because I wanna be an expert in anything that I talk about. And so, I want to get my license and I want to be an appraiser and I want to be, you know, all, all these things. And so for me, it's about where do, where do I start and then what does it look like to invest back in my business? So any of the money we make, we put it back into real estate Bayer Williams Clater. And so really for me, the challenge is more of an internal or just a process, you know, um, the people so far have been uh, pretty okay. I can foresee challenges uh, as a coach because I have about 18 clients right now and I would say um, four of them are serious mm -hmm. and so um, that's a challenge because if if you sign on with me, my goal is to get you to your first investment property. I try to just work with investors, not really homeowners like the first example I gave, but your first investment property within four months, which is a very long time in my opinion. Uh, so the challenges would be, are you going to answer the phone? I'm not going to call you. You do, you know, are you going to, you know, call me? Are you going to set up a time on the calendar? Are you going to do the homework and everything? And so it's really like, I can be super excited. I have people that have the perfect portfolio. You literally make six figures and you have a 680 credit score and you're a bachelor. How are you struggling? Like, you know, cause I'm just like, we could do this today, you know? And they're like, you know, let me just think about it. And so how do I shift, um, and create urgency, but I'm starting to learn that I can only take you so far. And so the challenge is, is, is on both sides. I have to stop because I'll be like, man, we could do this, we could do this. Um, but then how do I like, I can't create a fire for you. So I'm, I'm learning like processes and then learning how to stop when, um, you know, when people aren't ready. 
So if you were talking to yourself nine months ago for you, Gabby, I don't know, when you were a kid, <laughs> Eric, and thinking about who makes space um, and who gets to create those spaces, what is something that you wish you would have known? Like if you could go back and tell yourself one thing, what's one thing you think you could have told yourself and really avoided a lot or maybe got to your goals a little bit faster? Like what's something you would definitely tell yourself getting into it? So if somebody's listening, they want to get started, what's something they need to know? So if you want to be a real estate investor nine months ago, um, I would have, on my first contract, because COVID happened, I would have, um, I wouldn't have bought it cash. I would have got a loan um, because you can be, you know, rich in properties and then low in cash, which was my life for like six months. Um, and then I did a, a private investor a fund or, or, or raised the money. But I wouldn't have bought that first property cash. I would have kept my money in the bank. I would have put down a down payment. I would have took a loan and then I would have flipped it and put it back on the market. Um, and I bought it cash because I was scared of banks, right? Even though I worked at banks for years, I was scared of loans. I was scared of banks. So I literally took all of our money and we're fine. I mean, it's, it's not a sad story, but you know, um, I took all of our money and was like, just took this and that's a risk. Right. And so when I tell people now, how can we leverage your credit? Right. And your job history, leverage your credit and your job history. If I would have known that nine months ago, I wouldn't have quit my job. I would have bought probably a, a duplex or multifamily. And then I would have quit my job because I, I'm a mastermind in terms of being able to create, I'm going, I ain't going to never be broke. I'm going to tell you that I ain't gonna never be done now. I just, I'm never, you know, so, but if I could do it again, that would have saved me. Oh man, probably about six months and probably about 10 grand cash. So, yeah. You think people are leveraging because of lack of experience or is just intimidated in general? Like, what are you most scared of? That's a that's mouthful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know yeah. what? So, I, so that, that's, a, that's a whole podcast literally by itself is like our fear of banking. Um, and we really have to study to undo it. I always tell people the what you're afraid of in real estate can be cured with education. Mm -hmm. And so the more you begin to learn podcasts, YouTube university mentors, you are going to feel like I can literally do this. Um, because when you begin, words begin to change literally your mindset. And so when you're listening to somebody winning all the time in real estate, you're going to be like, I can win in real estate, you know? So, um, that, that, that for me is, is, what was my fear and it's it's a big it's a big deal and I think that it and I see it in my clients today it runs deep I ain't gonna do it yet and I'm like you have a 700 square square let's go right now mm -hmm. you know and I'm like well what if the banks but you got a student loan right so we really have to talk about eventually we have to have a conversation which people aren't ready yet why we took out a hundred thousand dollars in student loan money but you won't take out 10 grand for mm. for for real estate mm. well part of that too is just shifting the your understanding of debt um people are so afraid of debt but really debt is just a tool yep um, that's that's part of the capital the system of capitalism, right? Uh, you were just saying that the one thing that you wish you would have done different is not bought that property cash. Right. Well, that's very true because when you're doing real estate, you never want to spend your own money. You spend right. somebody else's money. Right. Yes. Uh, and then once you turn the profit, that's what it is. Or from when people would say, "I want to," I always chuckle when I hear like a 25 year old that owns a house saying, "I'm trying to pay my house off in five years." I'd be like, "Why?" Whatever you sell it for is what it's going to be for. You know what I mean? Like, so if you paid off a hundred thousand dollars, but you sold it for 90, you still lost 10 grand, you know, but what if you put 40 into it and you sold it for 90 when you, when you, you know, your loan was for a hundred. Okay. You lost that 10 grand, but you didn't put all your cash up front paying it off. So just, just thinking about debt, like measuring how much you're leveraged in debt 
is more important than trying to have no debt. Um, no debt is important when you get older, right? right? When you're about to be on a fixed income, that's when you're trying to reduce the amount that you have to pay out to somebody every month. But before then, like you have a you have a lot lower risk aversion. You can do different things with debt, um, but you just got to shift your mindset about it, um, like you said. So the one thing that I wish I would have uh, known going in was that community growth, community power building is a very slow process. You have to move. You have to move at the speed of trust, which means that one person that's sitting in the back of the room that doubts everything you say, who doesn't want you to move forward or anything, you have to move them before you can move the community. Um, and oftentimes people, especially young black people like ourselves and white people who come in caping, they come in and think they can just change something with a snap of a finger, right? I got all the answers. This is what y'all need to do. Y'all need to put this community garden here or y'all need to, y'all need to turn this building into a co-working space and that's going to transform the community. Not really. Uh, you, you really need to come in and you need to listen. You need to figure out what are the pain points of people in that community and how can you start to galvanize people around an idea that will move them forward. And also to uh, just understanding that it's not about everybody wanting the same thing. Um, that's, that's never been how cities or communities work, right? It's not like this monolith of people who all want to do the same thing the same way. You're always going to have tension. You're always going to have people that want to go in different directions. It's all about how do you manage that in a healthy way? Um, and that's one thing I, I had to learn from experience. I, mean, I don't care how silver my silver bullet was. Somebody is going to think it's trash, right? So how do I work with them? Um, that was that was something I had to learn. Our next question is, I, I mean, obviously, as you know, this is black tea, right? So we could talk business all day. We can talk uh, finance all day. But sometimes we got to bring in a question for the culture. Um, <laughs> so this next question, I'm sure you all have seen the versus thing on Instagram with Timbaland and Swizz Beats. Um, so for you all, um, if you could pick two artists to put head to head on versus, who would you pick and why? Um, I, I'm going to say Lauryn Hill and Most Deaf. Yep, I had to give it wow, to him. You know what yeah, I'm saying? I feel like that's really, really good. Yeah. And when I said it, I was like, that's really good, like for real. Man. You might have, you might have but Lauren, is she going to show up? No, they're not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> like, I didn't know these were actually have to like go into contract and show. No, no, no. These, these ain't going to happen. But she no, I think. She's going to live three hours later. Right, right. Don't do my girl like that. <laughs> she really. She but I'm here for that energy, though. I'm here for that. Like, I get there when I. And I got there, you know, I'm saying I'm, I'm going to get there and, they, you know, um, no, I, I say why? Because um, I think their catalogs are super uh, parallel. The movement um, that they, that music does for me personally um, is, is very similar. Um, and then I just like the resistance in both of them. Like, if you know, we know Lauren's story, we know most deaf story. And so I feel like their conversations, like just to see them to sit and talk together. I think that'd be absolutely nuts. So, um, yeah, Lauren Hill and, and most deaf for sure. Well, uh, I, t I guess I took more of an ignorant or ratchet approach to it. I was thinking uh, Gucci Mane and Lil Boosie would be a good one, or or the Locks versus Mob Deep or Clips, or we still need Ho versus Nas. Uh, I still want Lil Kim versus Foxy Brown. Like, 
Uh, but I do think we need, we just need, we had the R&B group yeah. thing going, but yeah. we don't want to forget about the rap groups. Yeah. So oh. diplomats versus somebody, I don't know, but we need that. Um, so I didn't know where to place Goody Mob, but you also have Outkast and UGK. So there's a lot of them. I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't pick one. Sorry. But again, nothing is uh, soul cleansing. As <laughs> Lauren Hill, <laughs> <laughs> most deaf or Yashin Bay. Yeah. I want, I want all the ratchet. Before we jump into our next segment, we want to give a special thank you again to our interview guests. Weren't they both amazing guys? For those in the audience, that was Aaron Williams and Gabby Williams. Sorry, Gabby, for saying your maiden name earlier. Again, they're both just really, really great and really smart. So thanks for sharing your knowledge with all of our listeners. And if you want to learn more about them or any of the projects that they talked about or even get some of their favorite books, just look in the comments below for more details. I don't know who needs to hear this, but... Is going to be a segment of this podcast where we tell you what you need to know, but you don't want to know, but you need to know. It's very black tea-ish. You know, we're going to give you some knowledge mixed with some juiciness, mixed with some entertainment. So I don't know who needs to hear this, but in Harris County, home to 2.4 million voters, Texas has shut down 11 out of 12 ballot drop-off locations. Girl, what? Girl, Governor Greg Abbott, that's, what we gonna, that's how we're going to pronounce it today, has declared that counties can designate only one location for mail ballot collections from voters. But it's all good because the GOAT, LeBron James, got us. Hey. Um, LeBron James has teamed up with Lyft to help um, Houston voters with $15 off Lyft rides. If you're in Houston or you know a homie in Houston or a homegirl in Houston, go to HTTPS colon slash slash lift.com slash invite slash H-O-U vote for more details. And bring a friend. And another friend. And a cousin. And an ATT. Exactly. And your auntie's cousin's friend's grandma. Bring everybody. Get your $15 discount. Make that vote do what it do. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but Miss Rona is still alive and well. We are still in the midst of the pandemic. Some of y'all acting like y'all forgot. That's right. So please, y'all, please don't leave the house without a mask and please wash your hands as frequently as possible and social distance whenever you can. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but the Family's First Coronavirus Response Act is here to ensure that COVID-19 testing is free to anyone in the U.S., including the uninsured. We're not going to get into the healthcare system. But you can go to https colon slash slash www.hhs.gov slash coronavirus slash community-based testing um, slash community hyphen based hyphen testing hyphen sites slash index.html to find community based testing sites wherever you are, wherever you are in the nation um, and located to access the free testing. And if you are looking at the transcript or watching the YouTube channel, just click that link. 
And last but not least, I don't know who needs to hear this, but part of October is Libra season for those of you who follow astrology. And we're both Libras, which Period. is a clear sign. So we want a message for you. Love on a Libra today. Period. Love on a Libra, get you a Libra. You want somebody in your life that's about knowledge, that's about beauty, that's about luxury, mm -hmm. social yes. justice, yes. diplomacy. You mm -hmm. want a Libra in your life. So get you one and keep you one. Cash out one, hug one. Do something with a Libra and some positivity, okay? Okay. <laughs>